I'd like us to begin this morning by having us take a moment or two to do a self-assessment. I want you to do a self-assessment and think to yourself about your level of contentment and satisfaction with your life. So ask yourself the question, to what degree am I satisfied with my life? I don't think any of us would say that, well, my life is perfect. There's nothing wrong. I don't think any of us would say that. But hopefully, if we take a step back and, and have a, an overview of all that our life entails, I hope that each of you can say, well, my life's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty good. And, I'm, and I am experiencing a measure of satisfaction. I hope that each of us, as we examine our life, are able to detect the kind providences of God threaded throughout the entire course of our life. I cannot deny and I won't deny that the Lord has been very good to me over the years. The blessings He has showered on me are more than I can number for you. And yet, as I consider the scripture before us today in Philippians 3, I recognize a need to be very, very careful. I need to be careful to avoid the temptation to value my earthly life too much and value my heavenly future too little. This is a temptation, I think, for each and every Christian. To value your earthly existence too much and to value your heavenly future too little. While I enjoy and am thankful for the blessings of God that I experience in this life, I fear that the blessings God showers upon me can sometimes create an attachment to this world. So those times where the Lord doesn't give me simply a spiritual blessing, where there's spiritual fruit, but when He gives me a temporal blessing, the temptation is to become attached to this world. Suffering, suffering by contrast, has quite a different effect on me. In times of adversity, in times of tribulation, I am then acutely aware of how much I need thee. I need thee every hour. Oh, I need thee. In adversity and tribulation, I am reminded how much I must depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it sometimes appears as though God uses suffering for the distinct purpose of drawing us to Himself. That He uses the megaphone of pain to call us to Himself and to create in us an appetite for heaven. Let's be honest. If your life here on earth were perfect, if you were perpetually healthy, not so much as a sniffle. You are healthy all the time. If, if you are entirely wealthy, there's nothing you could do to run out of money. If you were comfortable in every circumstance, you would never want to leave this place. 
And that's how some perhaps even feel. That the worst thing that could happen to you is that your earthly existence would be cut short. For some, that's the worst thing they could imagine. Because as they think about heaven, some cannot imagine that it'll be an improvement. For others, this life has been very challenging. Some of you face adversity on a regular basis. Some of us are dealing with financial hardship. Others are dealing with a breakdown of a very important personal relationship. Some are struggling to cope with the physical suffering of someone dear to us. Still others are dealing with a lingering grief from losing a loved one. How do we view these things? These trials, these tribulations. What is our view of suffering? What is our view of death? We hate it. And rightly so. We, we ought to detest such things. There are few things in life that unsettle me more than seeing another person in pain. If I see someone I care about in pain or discomfort, it unnerves me in a very profound way. And the grief that we experience when someone close to us dies, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a child, when someone close dies, it has a debilitating effect on many of us. And yet I believe that death has a very important message to convey. Death is a profound reminder not to get too comfortable with this, our earthly existence. Death reminds us like nothing else that this is not our home. This is not what we were created for. This is not home. And the Apostle Paul seeks to make this point clear in the 20th verse of the third chapter to the Philippians, where he says in the plainest of terms, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul hardly ever talks about his Roman citizenship. The thing that matters most to him is that his name is written in the book of life. That his citizenship, that his passport is with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And may all of us, whether Canadian, American, or Bahamian, and, and I know there are other nationalities, but I don't know when your Independence Day is. But as we celebrate our nation of origin this week or next, Think about where your true allegiance is. Think about who is your Lord and King. Beloved, if heaven is our real home, if it's our true home, why is our appetite for heaven so weak? At least it is for me sometimes. I don't have the appetite for heaven that I ought to have. Why is our appetite for heaven so weak? I think there are a couple of reasons. Part of one reason is that it's difficult to pine after something we've never experienced. 
It's difficult to pine after something we've never experienced. None of you have been to heaven. I haven't been to heaven. We've read a few things in this book and it seems very interesting and heartening, but none of you have been there. And so it's hard to work up our appetites as we ought to for something we've never tasted. It's hard to long to go to a place we've never visited. Alistair Begg puts it this way. He says, we're living the Christian life apart from the Christian capital. We're living the Christian life apart from the Christian capital. I I think of the fact that in this congregation, we seem to always have one or two families from the U.S. Embassy. And I often think that these families uh, have, have maybe an acute sense of what Paul's talking about. You work for your country, you work for the United States of America, but for a season, you're displaced and put here. And so your loyalties are to America, but you have to work out how to live and coexist and function responsibly here in the Bahamas. And that's the task of the Christian. We're here on earth and we have to figure out how to do that well and sensibly and in a God-honoring way. But this is an embassy outpost. The church is an embassy outpost. Our headquarters are in heaven. But I think there's another reason why we don't long for heaven more. It's more than the fact that we've never been there or never experienced it. I think there's another reason why we don't have the appetite we ought to for heaven. I think it's because many of us are too immersed in the things of this world. We're too immersed in the things of this world. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to be detached. Uh, In nowhere in the Presbyterian polity is there room to go join a monastery. I'm not suggesting that you go and isolate yourself and cut yourself off from worldly affairs. I'm not saying that. For Paul, it seems to come down to what you set your minds to. What you set your minds to. For Paul, to set one's mind primarily on earthly matters is to act in an unchristian manner. And this is, this is Paul. To set one's mind primarily on earthly matters is to act in an unchristian manner. If you don't believe me, look at verse 18. Paul talks about those who are enemies of the cross. Strong language. Look at verse 19. He refers to those whose end is destruction. Paul doesn't say, oh, they're a little offside or they're a little bit out of balance or they they just need to recalibrate. He says, no, they're enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. And we say, Paul, that's really harsh. What kind of person are you talking about? What marks a person who's an enemy of the cross? What marks a person whose end is destruction? And we're imagining terrible crimes. It's such and such a person who's in Her Majesty's prison, who's done this, and, and you know they're the enemy of the cross. But no. Paul says the enemy of the cross are those who set their minds on earthly things. I don't know about you, but I'm arrested by that. I'm arrested by that. An enemy of the cross are those who set their minds 
unearthly things. And this arrests my attention because why? My mind is on earthly things. I have earthly responsibilities that I must attend to. Human relationships that I give energy to. My mind is often directed towards temporal things. And I think the same will be true of each of you. So what do we do? I don't think we can avoid these things. I don't think we can run off and live in a monastery and just say, you know, we're done with all of this responsible living thing. I don't think we can avoid our commitment. So what is Paul saying? I think Paul is speaking to our priorities. And I think he is speaking to how you order your, your life. How you order the things in your life. For instance, look again where Paul says, or he refers to those whose minds are set on earthly things. Minds that are set on earthly things. I don't know why, but the analogy that I thought of as I read that was a thermostat. And as I worked it through, I found it to be a helpful analogy, and I hope you will as well. So Paul warns about setting your mind on earthly things. And I'm thinking of a thermostat. I'm not able to control the temperature outside. The Lord Jesus Christ in His infinite wisdom sets the temperature outside. I do have no control over what goes on out there. But this thermostat in the room behind us allows me to control the temperature on the inside. All I need to do is set the thermostat in a particular way and it gets cooler in here. It's amazing. Because of the wonders of technology, I have the ability to decide on the temperature of the room I'm in. Similarly, I may not be able to control my outward circumstances. I may not be able to control what happens around me. But thanks to the indwelling Holy Spirit, I have the capacity now to set my mind on the things of Christ, even while engaging in the things of this world. So I can't control all that's going on around me. But the Spirit of Christ helps me to set my mind where it ought to be. So the challenge then for the Christian is you attend to your earthly responsibilities while having your mind and your affections set on heaven. Have your mind and your affections set on heaven. Now someone may be thinking, well, why should I? Why? Why should I be setting my mind on the things of Christ when there are more immediate temporal needs that require my attention? Again, Paul reminds us, verse 20, we give Christ first attention because our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home. And so Paul does not want us to get too comfortable here. He wants us to prepare for something far greater. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely the word citizenship 
is enough of a helpful analogy on its own. Imagine with me, and some of you have done this recently, and some of you will do this very soon. You go on a vacation, you go on a holiday to a foreign land. You've left your family and friends behind in order to travel overseas. Now just because you're not at home doesn't mean that you can't enjoy yourself. That's the very purpose of a vacation for most of us. We go away to relax and to have recreation and rest and fun. No one goes on vacation to have a bad time. No one says, well, oh, I've got to be loyal to the homeland. I'm just, mm, just going to grin and bear this holiday, you know, in Tahiti or Hawaii, wherever I am, just going to grin and bear it. In the same manner, we can enjoy the things of this world. We can enjoy God's creation, but we do so knowing that this is like a brief vacation. So I don't want anyone to leave here, oh, Bryn, he's such a killjoy. He really doesn't want us to enjoy earth at all. What's wrong with him? He's grumpy. No, enjoy yourself. Enjoy all that God has given to you in this life. But remember, this is a vacation. When you line this life up next to your eternal home, there's no comparison. You are here but for a moment, just a day trip, just the briefest of holidays. This is not some abstract concept we're pondering here. The fact that we are citizens of heaven has real implications for how we live our life day to day. For how we order our lives and our priorities. Perhaps the most obvious application of our being citizens of heaven is that we are governed by heaven's laws. We are governed by heaven's laws. A parallel passage for this. This could be your homework. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's your homework. You don't have to look it up now if you don't want to. 2 Corinthians 5, I would call that a parallel passage. Uh, Paul explains there that in heaven, our primary focus will be delighting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, that pleasing the Lord now ought to be our greatest ambition. So Paul's saying, while you're here on earth, make it your aim, make it your ambition to please the Lord. Because when you die and go to heaven, that's going to be your focus. It's as if this life is the training ground, if you will, for our heavenly existence. Friends, you know this. Not only do you know this, but you've prayed this time and time again. You've memorized it, haven't you? I have? Yes, you have. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ framed things in exactly the same manner. You see, the ways of heaven are not merely principles for the next life. But the ways of heaven are intended to be manifest in the lives of God's children here and now. We are governed by heaven's laws now. 
So last summer, the McPhails did a crazy thing. I, I look back and I think it was crazy. We flew to Miami, Florida. We hopped in a car and we drove to Texas. That's crazy. That's a long way. I, I'm not familiar with U.S. geography. I didn't have a full appreciation of what I was doing. It was a lot of driving. And we, we went to a lot of places that we'd never ever visited before. Never been to Louisiana. Never been to Alabama. And never been to these places. And I'm a talkative, friendly person. So I get in these conversations with people and I'm asking a lot of questions. And, and the looks I'm getting are kind of funny. And so I feel the need to qualify why I'm asking so many questions. So I'm in Louisiana, I'm in Alabama, and I say to the person, Oh, you see, I, I'm not from around here. And they look at me like, of course you're not from around here. Listen to how you're pronouncing words. You're, you're speaking with such a, a silly accent and, and using vocabulary that we've never heard of. I go into restaurants and I'm asking for serviettes and I want vinegar for my french fries. And they look like I'm from a different planet. Why? Because my nationality has made me talk in a particular way. Not only do I, I, I'm told I have an accent, I think all of you have the accent. <laughs> but I'm told I have an accent, and that I have a vocabulary that marks my country of origin. Similarly, those who live by heaven's laws, those who live by heaven's ways, will be marked with a particular vocabulary and a particular lifestyle. And when people get to know you, they will see you are distinct and different from the rest of the world because you follow a different king. And you're governed by different laws. And to some that will make you strange and different. I think of this lovely group that's spending their summer holiday doing mission work. I imagine as you tell some of your friends, well, we're, we're going to take some of our summer holidays and we're going to serve people for a week. Some people might be thinking, well, that's crazy. We've got to go to the beach. We've got to do this. We've got to get ahead. We've got we to earn some money. But you're doing something that's governed by heaven's principles. You're thinking about your citizenship. Our citizenship in heaven is more than a passport or a ticket to eternity. Our citizenship should remind us how we conduct ourselves here on earth. I want to keep with this analogy of traveling. What happens when you're away from home for more than a week? So forget a short trip. You go overseas and you're there like two weeks or three weeks or longer. What happens when you go on a prolonged vacation away from your homeland? Well, you begin to lose touch with what's happening back home. So what do you do? You either call someone back home or you message them or you go online and you pull up the news. You long to find out what you're missing. Because life in your homeland is going on without you and you want to communicate with people who are there. You want to find out what's going on. You want to be up to speed. I see college students and, and, and young adults who are working in the U.S. They're back here today. And I bet you, without even talking to them, 
They've been following Bahamian news online. They may have been away for months at a time, but they've been tracking with what's going on in this country. Because you long to hear about your homeland. And what I want to say to you is that we have a way to communicate with our homeland. Our Heavenly Father has written us a giant letter in the form of this book. It is up-to-date news with what He is thinking about us and what He thinks about this world and our relationship with Him. We have everything we need as citizens of heaven living out of the capital to communicate with heaven. So let me ask you, how strong are your passions to find out about heaven? You're away in the U.S. or you're away in the U.K. and you're calling, you're texting, you're trying to find out what's going on. You're not in heaven right now. What are your passions like to find out about heaven's ways? If our citizenship is in heaven, our heart should be set on it, even while we're engaged in worldly activity. The plain truth I want you to see, and I've said this before, and this is the, to die, to live as Christ and to die as gain. The principle is that heaven is better than earth. Heaven is better than earth. And that, that's, you know, we've always heard that, but do our lives reflect that? That heaven is better than earth. I fear that very few Christians understand this, and rather than view themselves as citizens of heaven, many Christians talk about heaven as if it were some strange, mysterious place. I know this to be true because of all the questions I've fielded over the years of Christian ministry. I'll share a few of them with you. Real questions. Probably the most popular question I can think of is, are there pets in heaven? Will my dog Rufus, or will my... Pat Tigger, you know, will my pets, or Peter and his 40 pets that he's had in the last 10 years, will there be pets in heaven? People ask that all the time. I also hear from people who like recreation, you know, will I, will I be able to golf in heaven, you know, and, and will my game improve when I'm there? I hear others who say, you know what, I, you know, Bahamas is hot. Will I be able to have a, a cold beer in heaven? Because I really like cold beer. These are real questions. I'm not making this up. And instead of answering those questions, let me answer the question that's behind all that. People want to know, will I like heaven? Will heaven be fun? That's, that's what those questions are getting at. Because for heaven to be fun, they imagine that certain things need to be in place. And so they're really asking, will heaven be fun? Charles Spurgeon, when he preached on this text in Philippians, began his sermon with this statement. There can be no comparison between a soaring angel and a crawling worm. I can think of two things, very few things are further apart than a crawling worm and a soaring angel. And that is Spurgeon's answer to the difference between heaven and earth. Will heaven be fun? You bet it will be. Think of it. There will be no cancer wards in heaven. There will be no breakdowns of relationships in heaven. There will be no starving children in heaven. There will be no discrimination. 
No violence, no disrespecting of persons in heaven. The prophet Isaiah has a beautiful image. Chapter 65 of Isaiah. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. In heaven there will be no more sin. No more suffering. No more pain. And no more death. Heaven is perfect. Heaven is glorious. And heaven is forever. And we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are citizens of this place. Your earthly existence is a vacation. A very brief one compared to eternity. It's vacation. Enjoy yourself while you're here. But don't unpack too much. Don't get too, uh, don't get too comfortable. This is not your home. This will never be your home. Remember where your citizenship is. Spend your life here on earth packing and preparing for your eternal home with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.